0: From the campus at Northern State University, this is an EdTech podcast for South Dakota teachers. Hello again, we're back for another episode today with our podcast, and I'm here with Josh Jensen, who is a tech integrationist for Northern State University now, but has worked in middle school as a social studies teacher before this. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. It's good long, to have you here. Long-time
1: listener. <laughs> Long-time <laughs> listener. He's,
0: he's heard two episodes, I yes. think so that's good. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about the ICU program in, in education. So what is this ICU program, and what is its significance?
1: Well, ICU, it stands for Intensive Care Unit, and it was developed by these two doctors, I think they're in Alabama or somewhere in the south, maybe Tennessee, that uh They basically don't want kids to be off the hook of doing work. So, like, you assign an assignment, they make sure that you do that assignment because they they found that a lot of kids were willing to just accept the F instead of doing the work. And, you know, it's not really punishment for them to not have to do the work or get the F anymore. The, The punishment is, like, you have to do this work.
0: Okay. Well, the ICU. When I think about that, I think about an intensive care unit in a hospital, and like, I don't know. Once before you made it to the ICU in the hospital, you're in pretty bad shape. I mean, it seems right. like, right? You, I mean, you're you're almost dead, right? <laughs> Basically, with the ICU. So, so what are some of the problems, I guess, with this program, or some things that you've seen in your experience?
1: I think it has it has good points and has bad points. The good points are is that you you are like the, these kids are you're they're dead, <laughs> you're bringing them back, like they have become to the point where they can't be saved without somebody intervening. So you intervene for them and you basically give them the tools that they need to get the work done that they need to get done, and it catches them up. So like a good point is. We've got kids that you're not allowing them to fall back and you're keeping them where they need to be. The bad point is, is that you are making them almost completely reliant on somebody intervening all the time. And unless there's like a, a complete buy-in from everybody in the community, like it, it really ends up on a few people's shoulders that are going to say, okay, I'm not going to let this kid fail. And that causes inflated grades, causes...
0: So this makes me think about like the it takes a village to raise a child kind yeah. of idea. Only the only this time it seems like the village is raising the child rather than maybe the child doing some of the hopefully the work that they were supposed to right.
1: do. Right. Well, what the, what's supposed to happen is that child eventually gets to a point where okay, now I'm caught up and I can become self reliant. Um, mm-hmm. The issue a lot of times I find is uh, you have a- apathy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. This kid doesn't want to do this, never really wants to catch up, and is always ending up in ICU. You know, Still waiting for yeah. someone to hold their They're, hand. Let me die. <laughs> let, me <laughs> die. let me die. You know? die yeah. and it, Really, you shouldn't let a kid die, but it gets to a point where we need to make sure that they are starting to pick up some of that self-reliant stuff, too.
0: Yeah, and there's always a fine line between doing too much for somebody or doing too little. So, yeah, sometimes these students probably look for a hand to hold, you know, or... Yeah, dragging drag them along. Yeah, dragging them along. Someone to cuddle. There's a, there's that whole thing about cuddling now. You can become a professional cuddler, I think, in New York, and, and people can, you know, offer their services to come cuddle you. Oh, it that sounds, sounds kind of creepy. Sounds nice. <laughs> Don't tell your wife. <Yeah>. So yeah, so this whole idea of ICU, and I guess that's a concern is you know this, that students will re- learn that self reliance to be in charge because they'll be going to college. Well, hopefully they'll be going to college when they're when they graduate. And sometimes in college, I mean, it's the, the professor says, "Here's the job you need to do. You know, here's this here are the assignments. Do them right. Good luck." That's, yeah. There's not a lot of support, I guess, in that environment. Right. I think a lot of
1: schools have had something similar to this. This is a newer trend in teaching, but. You know, they've had special assistants in the morning for those that need, like, mostly athletes or, or people that have fallen behind. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, the they had the F room where at lunchtime, hey, you have an F, you're going to eat in the F room, which...
0: <laughs> Billy, you're going to the F room. <laughs> oh, man, not again. <laughs> no. Is no, that what it's like? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the old dunce cap thing. from. Yeah. In the early one-room school All the housing. kids just watch that kid walk in shame. <laughs> He's going to the F room again. They're looking at their toes as they drag <laughs> them to the F room. Yeah. Yeah, but hopefully the ICU is a much more positive spin on that whole solution. Right. So this is a technology podcast, so we probably should <laughs> talk about technology a little bit, right? Right. What You had a good solution that you implemented, right, with your school? And
1: right, so the... The big thing about an ICU program is that it needs to have communication with all these various parts. Like in a true ICU program, everybody is working to get that child caught up. And that includes like coaches, bus drivers, all the teacher resources that they can have, um, you know, the librarians. So it creates kind of a communication nightmare because, you know, is one teacher going to go and say, hey, Billy's missing this, and then it's not like a telephone game that everybody all of a sudden has oh, yeah. a telephone and has to find that out. So what we did was we put together just a Google Doc and uh, a Google spreadsheet. We put all the kids' names in there, and then we shared it across our teacher
0: network. And these were just the ICU kids' names
1: then? Well, basically it's all the kids in school, okay. but you can put what that kid is missing in uh, appropriate box. so like I had in my social studies column when I taught social studies, I'd say, "Okay, this kid's missing this and this and this," and I could keep putting it into those kids' boxes. And the math teacher did the same thing, language arts teacher did the same thing. And that allowed the teachers to basically go in there really quick, get a quick glance of who's missing what. So if you do have like a, a directed study or a time that these kids should be working on that but might not be working on it, somebody can quickly check and say, "Hey, they're missing this. And then what I did was I wrote a little script that would take those kids' names and it would associate it to an email address. So nice. all okay. of a sudden, I put down they're missing a social studies assignment. It'll kick an email to anybody that I have in a certain field. So usually their parents, you know, maybe a coach if a, a coach wants that email, or like their directed studies teacher or the person that's kind of supervising them at the school. Hmm. So... All of a sudden, you do have this kind of community. Hey, I got an email about you this morning that says you're missing a math assignment. What's going on with that? Kind of maybe like nitpicking that kid <laughs> to the point where, man, I just should get this done so the people quit bothering me about it.
0: Yeah, but it gets them, hopefully, to get it done. Now, was there problems when maybe a student got a lot of assignments missing? Yeah,
1: I mean, there, there was a point I think we had... You know, forty six emails in a row going <laughs> really? out, and you can say, or or it just gets to this parent or somebody is getting so many emails that they just, oh, I'm going to block that email address. <laughs> Too many spammy. No longer will I receive my missing work. And if it, if a student gets to a point where they're missing so much stuff, then you have to start to deciding you know, what's important here? Are, is it better to make sure that this kid gets all the work done? Or should we implant them back into class and start them where they need to start? Or is this assignment really, really super important that they, they get it done? You know, if the whole goal is learning, um, I think it kind of calls into questions like grades and different things. You know, how are we grading? Are we grading ability? Are we grading responsibility, you know? And that's that's a whole other
0: whole another issue yeah, that we could debate, discuss, right? Yeah. Now. We could debate on this podcast maybe. Yeah. But it's kinda cool that the technology helped helps you to have that data. You know everyone can know exactly what one student is missing for their math class, for their language arts class, for social studies and so forth. Right. So that's a really nice solution is to have that data and that's actually part of one of the big pushes they're doing with learning analytics is to collect big data on each student at, a, at multiple points. So that would be part of that portfolio for each student.
1: And it creates a communication base for your parents. You know, this is something else we could debate, and I'm actually presenting at TIE this year over these booking systems. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But just how we conference with parents. We kind of do conferencing backwards a little bit where... We're giving the kids grades, they show up at the end of the time when their grades are <laughs> given to them, and then you have students that are struggling, and the parents say, well, what's going on here? But it's already over. This creates a, a situation where you know, parents know right yeah. on
0: top of everything. So that when you come to parent-teacher conferences, they're saying, "Well, we worked on, we tried to get this done, or we worked on this." I guess parent-teacher conferences could come earlier too. And they could say, "Well, you know, here's something we can help with." Right.
1: Well, that's what I, I would suggest is uh, instead of waiting to the end where it's almost too late, we should. I feel like it should be a more traditional parent-teacher conferences should be blasted. <laughs> we should have a more open open enrollment policy for parent-teacher conferences.
0: Also, so that's the ICU. We're talking about those students who need life support. Yeah. And the, the technological solution, again, is a Google Docs so, or some way to have a collective place to put information and then anyone can access that information. It's fantastic. Google, Google Drive is a fantastic tool for doing that because it allows you to collect that information and disseminate it very simply and easily so okay so um we've talked about icu a little bit but what are some other technological projects or technological solutions that you've done in your classes as a social studies teacher i I guess that have seemed to work particularly well right we all have projects that maybe didn't work so well oh i've
1: had a whole bunch of those that didn't work very well but some of the ones that i really enjoyed um using technology i always think like social studies you're teaching a content, but you have the opportunity to also teach some skills with that content. So the technology skills that you can put forward with social content is almost endless, like maps and different things. Some of the fun projects that I did with my kids is I used this Audacity program that you're using right now to record this. Um, and we went online, we found karaoke background tracks, and then we had the kids rewrite the karaoke lyrics to match a historical context of what we were talking about and then they either had to go and I had them go into different areas and record the music over that karaoke track or if they didn't want to sing they could do like a podcast or different things like that and then some students took it so far as to go make a music video <laughs> and then we would just show those uh show those during classes
0: so where'd you find the karaoke tracks online are there um you can, you can go on YouTube and basically you can Just
1: type in different karaoke tracks, and it will, you know, Uh, know, there's just thousands
0: and thousands of different tracks on
1: there, and you can get, like, there's an MP3.
0: Yeah, so you can just take that MP3 download and put it into Audacity, and then you can just have the student record over it.
1: Right, or just play play that that file and just record over it, and it it worked really
0: good. Did they have a hard time figuring out how to use Audacity or anything like Um,
1: that? No, not really. Uh, (laughs) As soon... I, I did this thing in my class called Technology Tuesday, so every Tuesday we would go over some kind of neat technology, um, and we had spent a couple times going over Audacity. So really just the record function and then learning how to manipulate the different tracks that it makes uh, was all the students had to do, and then I went around and showed them at the end like, how to export it as an audio file. So I, I really didn't think they had too much difficulty.
0: So, what were some of your favorite songs to come out with that? What were some of the Um, tracks that they chose?
1: The my favorite was uh, "Happy" by Oh Yeah Pharrell, and they had changed it to "Hungry," and (laughs) it was about the Donner Party. (laughs) uh, Oh man, (laughs) it was pretty good though. I mean, they kept it pretty tasteful, and they're just you know they're they're hungry and they. I remember one line was, you know, Uncle Jack is looking pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, I just thought that was a pretty clever way. Or um, one group took the Lincoln assassination. Okay. And uh, Taylor Swift's, I knew you were trouble when you walked in, <laughs> and uh, they, they had a nice. That works pretty well. Already. Yeah, nice little video. John Wilkes Booth walking in. And I knew, you, and they, they they went. It was neat because when they were doing their lines. You know they really had to think about how does this relate to history because you know I had a rubric and the, yeah. how how it's going to be graded, but how they were able to cleverly word all that stuff and get it into a song was it's pretty neat.
0: That's what makes it fun to me as a teacher is to see what my students come up with when I give them right. some requirements and some ideas and to see what they come up with is always fun it makes teaching fun, yeah. Um. What else? Uh, is there another project you could share with us that you've implemented that seemed to work pretty well?
1: I really liked... Uh, I used GIMP. Uh, it's, like it's like a, a Photoshop. Yeah, for, Photoshop. But a free it, version. But free, image image yeah. manipulation program. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we did this other project that I thought it was fun. We used the GIMP program, and we took that... We basically took maps and turned them into animated maps. So I would take... Uh, map of the Revolutionary War, and okay. then we you're able to take images and just kind of overlay them on top of each other, and then you can make um, battles. So we take, like, little British and little Americans, and we'd have them move on the map, or I'd have them, like, show where the um, Revolutionary War basically progressed through. So yeah. then at the end, when they're submitting their project, instead of submitting, you know, uh, basically a picture, like some social studies teachers would probably have them like just draw a map and you get like a still picture. I would get them to be able to submit me this animated GIF that would actually walk through the steps of the
0: Revolutionary War. So you see so much more with that, with the animation or just a picture.
1: Right. And it's, I mean, harder to set up, easy to grade. I can say, oh, yeah, okay, so they went through the process of the Revolutionary War. You can really see that the kids are getting an understanding of movement Instead of just okay, here, 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 and they can see, you know, this is where the stages of the war actually took place. So, I and and then they also get the ability to learn how to use an image editor. So, I thought that was kind of a fun project. I always kind of think of that, you know, when if you're teaching like a content based style class, you can always put in different skills especially with the amount of technology that we have access to today kind of doubling up the learning.
0: What would you say to a teacher who, you know, says, "Well, it'd be cool to do something like that, but I mean, I don't know audacity or I don't know GIMP or whatever." Right.
1: Well, you got to start all the teachers at you start them at the level that they're at. A lot of times I feel they might not know, but their students know. And if you allow the students to become part of the teaching environment, Um, they're going to be able to pass that knowledge on to somebody that doesn't. Uh, And there are resources all over the place to help you do different projects like that. Like, you don't have to go so far as to make an animated map um, if you're uncomfortable doing that. But you can start with a simple technology project like, you know, just paint this image. Like, um, I I know I showed the other social studies teacher, you know, look at this this GIMP program. And he loved it because oh, now they can just go and paint the different colors for the states, and you just click the paint button, and it's clean. You can see everything. Mm-hmm. And and it's a technology skill that they weren't using before.
0: So start where you're at, but also remember that your, your students probably have some pretty amazing technology skills. And uh, so even if you can't figure something out, oftentimes they'll be able to.
1: Yes. If you can't figure something out, uh, you need to just... <laughs> You take a step back, you know, you always have a
0: backup plan.
1: That's the the biggest thing I told teachers with technology. I, I don't go in there expecting everything to work good. I also think it, it sets yourself up to for some good practices. When you're doing a technology lesson, you usually walk through it, make sure everything's working okay. That's good practice for every lesson, you know, walking through your lesson, making sure, sure everything's okay. You know, a lot of people, I feel, wing it because they don't have – the different aspects but if you practice beforehand it's going to turn out better than than if you didn't
0: yeah that's true too and i think it takes some humility on the part of the teacher to be willing to say well i'm, I'm not sure how to do this does anyone in the class know how to do this and usually somebody's going to be able to do that yeah yep. and you know it's like the one time i i visited a friend one time and i and i said okay goodbye see you later and i opened up a door and went inside and there was a closet there instead of so the actual <laughs> outside door so, like, some teachers want to be in, they'll just stay in the closet, right? They'll never right. come out and admit that they got something wrong. Yeah. it's Instead, it's a, you got to pop out there and say, oh, I got the wrong door, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I
1: think you know. students appreciate that, too, you know, to, to see, hey,
0: this person is learning right alongside of us. So, yeah. All right, well, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week.